Remain standing for the word if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, it's from John chapter 15. This is our text from today. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat, friends. We're in week two now of a a series exploring the I Am statements of Jesus. And uh, this is a fascinating discourse uh, it's uh, it's uh, fascinating on lots of levels. It's fascinating partly because uh, this is Jesus' kind of final discourse. It's his final uh, discussion that he has with his disciples. And, uh, and last words are kind of a big deal. Last words carry weight. Uh, there's a whole bunch of interesting uh, last words that got spoken. Nostradamus, they say, <laughs> said, predicted, tomorrow at sunrise I shall no longer be here. And he was right. Um, I read about this guy, this murderer, James W. Rogers, and uh, he was to be killed by a firing squad in Utah. And he, had, uh, he was asked if he had any last requests, and he said a bulletproof vest. <laughs> uh, it wasn't granted. Um, so Winston Churchill's last words, recorded last words, were, I'm bored with it all. Um, Steve, according to um, Steve Jobs' sister, the Apple founder's last words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Um, interesting, eh? Like there's, this, like there's kind of a weight of significance to, um, to last words. And for, for this was Jesus' last words to his disciples. don't know if you've stopped to consider that. that that's a big deal. Like Jesus is trying to like deposit something in his disciples that really, like this is the stuff that Jesus wants to get into their hearts. And uh, so it's a big deal. As we said last week, John is trying to uh, write this gospel in such a way that we have no doubt that Jesus is God. And, uh, and like we said last week, uh, where Moses got God revealing himself as the I am, uh, here we get a lot more colour and detail as Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and reveals the nature of God. Uh, and so last week we looked at the whole statement that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this week, obviously, we're exploring where Jesus says, I am the vine. So let's dive in. What we're going to do is just work our way through this text um, almost verse by verse because it's so profound. And honestly, this is like this is one of my favorites. Um, I say that a lot about a lot of scripture, but this is this is up there. It's such a significant passage. And um, and really the way we've uh, architected our church is, is because we take this passage very seriously. But Jesus, so Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now I hadn't actually seen this until I dived in. Uh, kind of studying this text the last couple of weeks. Um, but Jesus says here, I am the true vine. Uh, so obviously there's, there are a whole lot of other vines that aren't the true vine. Um, but you, Jesus is using this whole metaphor of a vine, and we're fortunate here in the Bay that we've got vineyards all over the show. Um, people ask me, you know, my mates from out, out of town, like, oh, do you like going to different red like, Is there some nice places to eat in the Bay? And I'm like, yeah, there's some nice places, but all the fancy places are at the wineries. Yeah. And I haven't been there too many times, to be fair. <laughs> we got a voucher for one once, and it was really awesome. Um, 
but we, we've got vineyards all around the place, and, uh, and we've got people that work in the industry in our church, which is cool. Uh, so this is like um, a metaphor that we can kind of get our heads around. And if you want to just a download on, on all the potential ways that the Lord can speak through a vineyard, talk to Bruce Radimer, because Bruce has got it all, man. He just sits there dwelling on the, uh, on, on the beauty of this picture uh, as we look at the different seasons, the, different, the pruning, the care that has to take place, uh, the conditions that are needed, but just the incredible fruit that takes place uh, if you do all of that. So Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. But what he means by that is just the source of life, the source of power, source of blessing. And interestingly, Israel was actually one of the metaphors for Israel back in the day was the vine. Like this is this country's the vine. Uh, there's prophecies and, and imagery within, within Isaiah. Uh, and the idea, again, call it this idea that this was a nation that was called to be a blessing to all people, just a source of blessing. And they uh, failed like we all do in terms of living that out. But then Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm the true vine. And then again, out of Israel has come the true vine, which is so beautiful. So it still it had it found its, its life that uh, came through Israel. But Jesus is like, no, I'm the true vine. I'm the true source of blessing and life and power. Um, but the interesting thing is it, it caused me to reflect, like, what are the other vines that we can attach ourselves to? Right, there's a whole lot, of, like if Jesus is the true vine, there's a whole lot of counterfeit vines that are out there. Um, and it's like, and pretty much anything can be a vine because basically it's like, this is a place where I'm going to derive a source of life. This is where I'm going to try and find some meaning or some purpose. And this is where I believe that if I give myself to this, I'm going to find the fruit that my life longs for. So that can be all sorts of things. You can have the vine of family, the vine of marriage, uh, the vine of career, uh, the vine of a uh, social belonging, the vine of pleasure, the vine of possessions, the vine of control uh, in our culture, the vine of independence can be a big one, uh, vine of recognition, there can be political vines. Uh, if I give myself to this, its power will flow through me and the fruit I want in my life will manifest itself. Uh, and so the question is, it's a good, like Jesus immediately said, by saying that is inviting us to reflect on, do you know what the source is for you? Like, I, like, what's the, like deep down, what's the vine for you? Do you believe that Jesus is the vine? Do you know uh, the power that you're relying on? Do you know the fruit that you're hoping to see manifest in your life? So Jesus is saying, I, I am the true vine. I am the source of all life. I'm the source of blessing. I'm where you find the fruit that your heart longs for. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Um, for those of us that have, um, have been around the block for a few, uh, a few times, no, this is very true, <laughs> that if you yield yourself to God, and again, we've got to make sure, I want you to hear me here, church. Like who's, who's doing the pruning? The most gracious, loving Father who's filled, like, again, I've said this every Sunday, just about his motivation's life. So it's all motivated by love with a distant, like he wants to bring you to life through love. So like, but, but it's still legitimate pruning. <laughs> so like some of you guys know, like you come to faith out of a bit of a broken background and it's like there's some pruning. Like you need to stop smoking that, drinking that and sleeping with her, you know, or him or whatever it is. It's like, you know, there's some pruning that needs to go. Like you need, we've got to chop that off because that's really messing your life up. So sometimes it's pruning, like it's just like branch go. <laughs> Other times there's some pruning and it's like even branches that bear good fruit. 
um, need to be pruned. And I was just reflecting on this myself. I thought, oh man, like there was, I just had this ambition in my 20s. Um, and it was, you know, that God um, would be glorified, but, but through my fame. You know, that I, <laughs> I'd like to be a big rock star for Jesus so that he, he'd get a bit of glory. Like, sure, I'll get a little bit as well, like, but that's just, that's okay. Like, you know, that happens when you're rocking out in front of thousands of people, like, for Jesus. But, you know, but, but money, and it's funny how, like, we have these, these, these dreams, and it's like, now there was something at the core of that that was okay, <laughs> a whole lot that wasn't, and so he pruned that, and he did, did pretty thoroughly, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and just brought me to a place of just so much more freedom, and it's interesting, like, if you choose to follow Jesus, he will teach you to live a life of love. It's not about you, it's about blessing others. And actually, he wants most of us to be rocket pads, not rocket ships. Let's see other people launch off and see other people blessed. And he just teaches us to live a life of service, to bless others. But that's not easy because we're counterformed to, to be consumers and to live our way. But there's God and his kindness and goodness wants to get rid of that deeply broken stuff. Um, and he wants to prune the, the, the branches that we think could be okay. But he's like, why? So that they can be even more fruit. Now, we'll, we'll tap in a little bit. Uh, to what that word fruit means in, in a second. But N.T. Wright in his commentary points out that the word that, that Jesus uses for prune in verse 2 is really unusual. And the very next word uh, is very similar to the word for uh, pure or clean, which is in the next verse. So you've got, um, can you go to the next slide for one? Um, you've got um, uh, kathiro, uh, which is prune, and uh, katharos, which is clean. Because he says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Um, and so there's a sense, again, where it's like, like God wants to make us clean. It's pruning so that it would just be like a purity to our lives, a purity to our hearts. Um, and N.T. Wright notes, he says, vines need to focus, as Bruce will know this, vines need to focus their energy on uh, producing good quality grapes rather than lots of second-rate ones. Vines, too, need to grow themselves towards the light rather than getting into a tangled mess. Left to themselves, they produce a lot of superfluous growth, which must be cut away if the vine is truly to be what it's capable of. Uh, and again, I, like plants come to our house to die. Like we're working overtime right now. To no, we are working very hard to keep those. Really? Okay, in Jesus' name, that's not true anymore. Because we've we've actually kept some. We've got about twelve indoor plants that are still alive. Some were marginal. Some have flirted with death, but we've res yeah okay. But that's a win for us, 12 indoor plants. And we still don't have a routine around it. It's just when they look a bit limp, we're trying to help them out. But it's like, so on my point is I'm no uh, agrarian master uh, here in terms of growing a garden or whatever. Um, but it really struck me. I was like, I'd never, because we are just so used to seeing vines grow here in the bay and just really well looked after. Like, I haven't seen a vine that hasn't had a trellis that's just been left to grow on the ground and all over the show. Some of you guys probably have them at home. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but I'm like, we just, I don't know what that looks like. But that's because, uh, as Bruce can testify, there's a lot of pruning that's got to take place for the sun to be able to reach all of these plants so that they grow really healthily. And so in the same way, it's like there's this beautiful idea of like, we've got to prune our lives and let God prune it so the sunlight isn't blocked, so that God can actually bring life onto us. Listen, we're going to, we need to prune our lives so that our energy isn't sucked into places that don't bear fruit and don't bear life. Right? We need to prune so our energy isn't sucked into places that bear no life. And so it's, I bang this drum a lot, but Jesus' invitation is to come to him and rest in him. Like One of the major things that the church in the West needs to learn to do if they're serious about discipleship to Jesus is actually slow down. 
to slow down spirituality, to walk to, if, like, if we're yoked to Jesus, then we walk at his pace. And it's at the pace of love. It's not a rush. And so that, and as soon as I start talking about this, like, it, honestly, it just exposes our deep brokenness, right? Like we, I can feel it in the room. We wrestle with this. It's, I can't do it because of my circumstances. Like, we, we're victims. We lose power all of a sudden. Oh, and I can't, I'm not in control of my life. And it's like, no, we're not. We're, 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 no, so you are in control. So, like, what does it learn, look like to learn the unforced rhythms of grace? Do you know how much more beautiful that life is? Now, I know this is a constant battle. It's a constant battle. I'm constantly fighting for this myself. But I'm like, Lord, just keep pruning so that I've got the energy to put it into the places that bear life. And Lord, work, help me get healed of the pride that keeps me going and all of the brokenness that sees me take on way too much and say yes to too many things and live in the kitchen where I'm making sandwiches you just didn't ask me to make. You know, like, Lord, lead me out of that place so that I can abide and remain in you. And so let the gardener heal and clean uh, so that we can have energy to bear much fruit. Verse 4, remain in me. Some of the translations have this beautiful word, abide in me as I remain in you. The word there is this word mino, um, and it literally means not to depart, to be continually present. And I love this, to be held, to be kept continually. Um, there is a sense uh, where uh, for the abiding and remaining, like where we choose Jesus. It's like, no, in my devotional life or in the car or as I pray in tongues or uh, I, like I'm choosing Jesus. But a lot of it's actually just him holding us. Uh, which I think is so beautiful. Verse 9, uh, this taps into this. As the fa- uh, later Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so remain in my love. Jesus is trying to tap into something so incredibly beautiful here where he's basically trying to like, help us understand that we can participate in the Trinitarian love. And so he's like, basically he's like, the Father um, just loves Jesus and Jesus just loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit, they reckon, is like just the love between them. <laughs> and so it's just this, this constant cycle of love. And we're going to talk about this in Trinity Sunday coming up, which is a sermon I'm already freaking out about, but it's something we try and do every year. Because Trinitarian theology is absolutely vital to our, in terms of doctrine, because without the Trinity, it's not a God of love. Like you've, There has to be an object of your love. And so we have a three-in-one God mysteriously and beautifully, but that means that there's this, this constant sense of delight and joy and love in each other. And Jesus is saying that we get to just step into that and just kind of be caught up in the love of the Heavenly Father and the Son and the Spirit. Like We get to ha- have this place in here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Through relationship with him, Trinitarian love can be poured into us. John Tyson said it like this in his sermon on this. Listen, this is epic. Hold on to something or someone. This is good. Listen, here guys, this is such a word from the Lord for us today. God never tells you to build your relationship with him on how you feel about him. Because we're so fickle. If we're doing well, we feel awesome if we've got praise hands. But if we're struggling, we're at the back row filled with doubt. No jokes, there wasn't a condemnation. Look, that was just. <laughs> we, but listen, it's because we base our acceptance on our performance. But he actually says, I want you to remain in how I feel about you, not how you feel about me. And God's love is steady and unchanging and it's permanent for you. How awesome is that? Isn't that like, honestly, try and get that in your soul. It's not about like, tuning up something for him. It's just remaining and abiding and relaxing into his love for you and getting in the habit of doing that. 
So where it's not based on how I feel, because again, that's just a religious thing. It's actually based on receiving his unconditional, steady, unchanging love for us. We are already clean because of the word that he's spoken to us. And he's chosen you. He wants you. He wants to pour the love of the Father into you. How good's that? And most of us really can't break that religious cycle of trying to earn our sense of worth from our performance. It's really hard to break this. You know, there's this uh, psychologist, David Benner, and he, um, he did this uh, uh, bit of research in, as he sat down with literally hundreds and hundreds of Christians, and he asked them this question, what do you think is the first thing that comes into God's mind when he thinks of you? Hundreds of people were surveyed, and what do you think the answer was? The, pre- the predominant word that came through, disappointed. When people were really honest, the word that came through about what God thinks about you was disappointed. Some of you aren't surprised by that. Some of you are. Some of you aren't surprised by that because that's the word that's been banging around in your head when you think about what does God think about you. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. And it's not, it's not what's revealed in Jesus. The Bible says that God's delighted in you. Not because of how well behaved you've been. He's delighted in you because you've accepted what his son has done for you. So you're just resting in the finished work of Jesus. Like that's, that's why we come to the table every Sunday. It's like it's all grace. So you can just rest in that. He's delighted in you. Like he's, I know you may not believe it, but it's a biblical reality that God delights in you. The Bible says he longs to be gracious to you. It says he will arise to have compassion on you. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Uh, Dane uh, Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, says this, that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating, cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on the day when we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. Hallelujah. Just let it, just let it. I can just see some of you already just God's meeting you. And he's just bringing revelation of his great rich mercy for you. He delights in you. It's not about your performance. It's about resting in his finished work. He's done it all, and we just receive it. And he did, and Jesus did such a good, Jesus did such a good job that God's really impressed with what's in your account. He's really impressed with you. He's like, well, well done. Delights, rejoices over you with singing, the Bible says. Let it just, like, we just somehow have to, this is, Tozer said this, the most important thing about us is what we think when we think about God. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And when you start getting this, 
Of course you want to run to him. Of course you want to hang out with him. Of course devos are the, the, the best part of your day. Because <laughs> you're just like, oh, I get to hang out with this guy. <laughs> you know, that's gospel, friends. That's good news. Good news. And so this is why devos are uh, uh, like it's so important that that you understand where we're coming from, where we why we bang the drum of devotional life, our devotional practices so hard. There's a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, if there's one reality that the devil does not want you to experience, it's this one, yeah. where you just you're amazed at his mercy and goodness and kindness. So what's he going to do? do everything to distract you, and do everything to distort your image of God so that you don't run to him when you need to, right? But secondly, if Jesus um, said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, we talked about this last week, if he's, like, if he's where the life is found, and then Jesus in this passage says, abide and remain in me, and that's where your, the life flows, and, and the devil said, I've come to kill and destroy and lie, like what's, the, again, the number one thing the devil's going to go after? He's going to go after your devos. He's going to go after the abiding and the remaining because that's where he'll cut off the life that's found in Jesus. And so I don't say this, to, again, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, hallelujah. But you, like, be aware, we're in a war. Yeah. Like, the last 20 years, since 2007 when the, when the iPhone came out, especially, but before that there was a whole lot of groundwork that got laid to just rob the average Christian of their life with Jesus. And it's like, man, we've like we've got to fight for that place back. Not again. We're not. We're not. We're not living for the heart of Christ. We're trying to live from the heart of Christ. We're not trying to like earn something. We're trying to just live in something here. Like it's again where your motivations are super important. Okay, to be honest, I don't really care what your motivation is. Like have a devo because it's good for you, and you'll you'll meet Jesus. But it's like you start. You, you the mature Christian starts cracking through to this thing of like this is a, not a not a discipline. It's a delight. Because I just get to abide and remain in the source of all life and mercy and goodness and peace and compassion. Like, why would you not want to orientate your life around that? And so this is, uh, so N.T. writes like, uh, he says this in his commentary, the urgent question is this, how do we remain in him? What does it look like in practice? Both of the meanings come into play here. We must remain in the community that knows and loves him and celebrates him as Lord. Good bit of advice. Jesus isn't interested in just growing a single grape. Not the fruity head in mind. So we remain in the community. There's, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We can't go it alone. But we must also remain as people of prayer and worship in our own intimate private lives. We must make sure to be in touch and tune with Jesus, knowing him and be known by him. Interesting, once again, the most extraordinary promises about prayer in verse 7 accompany the sharpest warnings in verse 6, that you wither up and you get burnt if you don't do this. Now, that's, Jesus isn't saying that to, like, as a, to scare you. He's just speaking reality. We know what it's like to wither. I, I, I Honestly, my heart breaks when I look around our culture and in this town and stuff. I'm like, I just see so many withered, burnt people who just have no life in them. And so this isn't, again, Jesus trying to be scary. This is Jesus just in longingly with compassion saying, I long for you not to go down that track. And how do you do it? You remain in me. Again, Dane Altland says, For those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It's your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are his child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort. Whatever our spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. Like, that's our home now. It's our home. So, 
Again, uh, Jesus speaks here in verse 7, if you want to uh, remain in me, abide in me, uh, and my words, uh, let my words remain in you. So like, there's this whole idea, like if you, um, if you want to, uh, to be serious about remaining in Jesus, you've got to get his word in you. You've got to get his word in you. Uh, again, prayer and scripture, big places. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to make anyone feel stink. I'm just trying to be honest. It's, I'm not, it's all good if you struggle reading the Bible and those, those disciplines are a bit of a wobble. But my I also just don't give up because this is where the life is. It's in Psalm 1, right? The delight of the, uh, the who's, this is the person who's flourishing, is the, who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. They are like the person planted by the streams of living water. And whatever they do prospers. In Psalm 19, this extraordinary psalm celebrating the word of God. I mean, it's crafted. It's incredible. Like literally every stanza uh, is centered around uh, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and just works its way through there. It's just the whole thing is a masterpiece in its creation. And it's celebrating the word of God. And it says in verse 11 of uh, Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's something about just getting into this book that protects us from temptation. Like literally there's data and research on it now. Like The people that read this book regularly, uh, they, they uh, have a way higher chance of overcoming temptation. We probably needed to read it a little bit more with our kids to be fair. Jen, uh, and then double, double the dose or something. Um, still struggle with the temptations that Jen talked about earlier a lot, to be fair. Um, she's a, a long way ahead of me on that. Um, but, but I love this verse 16. I delight in your creeds. I, I will not neglect your word. And I just, I'm like, man, it's so, I, I, there's been seasons in my life where I've neglected the word of God. I've neglected to, to eat this book, to engage with this book, to meditate, to be reading this book. And um, I bang on a lot about devos, not because I'm, I find structure in my life easy. The reason I bang on about it is because I'm a giant dumpster fire when it comes to, you know, discipline and structures, you know, and there's people, other people around, I'm not even going to look at you right now, who, who maybe are more prone towards mathematics and engineering and those sorts of things and whose life's a little bit more love, you love all that. Um, and that's just not my natural default. Um, but, you know, but there's no excuses. It's like, I've, so I've fought for these things. Not because my personality, I fought them really in spite of my personality and wiring because I just, I want to be anchored in this stuff. And so and I've found actually that uh, for people that are, are more naturally inclined to structure, you need uh, less stuff to help you hold it together. But for me, I need Bible in a year. I've been doing it for, year, for four or five, six years now through. There's about five or six years where I kept trying and falling off the wagon. And I finally, about five or six years ago, cracked on where I could just do it every year. But it was five or six years of just fighting for it, choosing it. I was a pastor. Do you know how awesome that feels when you're struggling in that space? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, so for me, like, I, I just need that structure in my life because I will want to, I, I just, I need to get the word in me. And so now I just, it's a delight. Again, it's not a discipline anymore. It's literally a delight. I love opening the Bible every morning. And I love that I've got a little structure. And can I just, my top tip is if you struggle with the Bible in a year, don't worry about the Old Testament. What we're, we're interested in is learning the way of Jesus. So just center your life in the Gospels initially and the Epistles. Fine, there's no problem with that. And just use Bible in a year, New Testament, and just go through that. It's so short, anyone can do that. Uh, and then as you get the chops up, you can start engaging with the Old Testament. But it's always read in the context of our revelation of Jesus in the New Testament, okay? But the, anyway, that's just a top tip. So, so again, uh, can I just encourage you, let's, just, let's be people of the book. Let's get into the Word of God because as His words come into us, it brings the life. That's how we choose to abide and remain in Him. So I'm like, let's be people that start the day with prayer and Scripture. 
And then let's just work out how we can spend the rest of our lives getting more manic and, and crazy and, and radicalized for the way of Jesus, where prayer and the word just become everything for us. And before you know it, we're little nutters praying and fasting all the time who just carry the presence of God and who live dead, like dead people as a living sacrifice for him. We just give our whole lives to him. That's the dream, friends, is that we become all flame. Right, that's the that's the trajectory we're, we're trying to aim for here. And then uh, Jesus comes into Lamb in this little bit anyway. I love this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love it. God is glorified as we take this journey. Like God, the Father's glorified, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, Jesus is like there are ways that you can be a disciple of Jesus, and then there's a whole lifestyle that isn't the lifestyle of Jesus. And so we're not, I'm not interested in Christians anymore. I'm interested in disciples. I've hung out with Christians all my life. They bore me witness because they turn up every occasionally on Sunday and that's it. I'm like, what I'm interested in is disciples, people who are radical about Jesus, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. I'm all about being a disciple. I want to show myself to be a disciple. I just, I'm, that, I'm all in now. Everything else is, like Winston Churchill said as he died, it's all just the rest of it. It's so boring. It's so boring. All the other vines are so boring. Jesus is where the life is, baby. Jesus with life is so I want to be uh, his disciple. Um, but I love this, but God is glorified when we bear fruit. Now the million dollar question is, what's that fruit? And uh, many preachers have tried to steer this towards what you do for Jesus. Um, and they try and kind of, me- I've heard a few talks as I've been prepping this, try and mesh that in there. Now I'm going to get there, don't you worry about mission and all the rest of it. But here's what Jesus says in this verse. Uh, in, in John 15, he says, The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. So one of the fruits of all of the stuff is that we're filled with God's love. In uh, verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I just think this is epic. Like this, when Jesus talks about I am the true vine, it's connected to the sign earlier in John's gospel of Jesus turning water to wine as his first miracle at the wedding in Canaan. This is the coolest miracle ever, and this is in our holy book. The Baptists must really struggle with it, but it's like, like Jesus' first miracle is he made a truckload of wine at a party, and like, and like it's recorded in there, it wasn't rubbish wine. It was really, really good wine. I'm not into my wine. I don't know. I'm not into the notes and the tasting and the, the smells like oak and a little bit of butterfly landed on it and whatever. And it's like, it's like, I'm just not into all that. Some people are. Some people are in deep, you know, with the whole wine thing. And I'm like, you guys would have loved it. You guys, would have, this is the best Chateau de Jesus or whatever. And it's like, wow, you know, it's just this incredible wine. And Jesus, and, he, and it's at a wedding feast. So get your, your boring Christian heads around this, that Jesus' first miracle was at a party. Like Jewish weddings were epic. They danced. Shock horror. It's like, it was just a party. Like my, my mum at our wedding went bananas as a dude nan. You know, it was just fun. We danced the night away. When we first got engaged, me and Jen turned up uh, at mum and dad's house the night we got engaged. I opened up the door and their mum had Frank Sinatra cranking candles everywhere. She was holding a glass of bubbly and she was dancing around saying, when the moon hits your eyes. And she's just dancing with joy uh, because of our love. And it's like Jesus turns up at a party. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. So we've somehow got to get in our heads like joy is the serious business of the follower of Jesus. We are people of joy. We, like if you're happy and you know it, please tell your face because we are called to be the people of joy. We are called, this is called to be, a, we don't do 
upbeat songs at the start of every service because we like upbeat songs. Because our co- like, it was honestly, I'm I'm a melancholic, you know, dep- depressive most of the time. Ask my wife. It's like if it, if it was at my perfect church service, I'll turn up and we'd be like, I'm such a mess. I'm sorry, Jesus, and we'd have a little mellow little wah at the start. But we turn up. And we praise God because we're not trying to build New Zealand culture. We're trying to build kingdom culture. And this is going to be a place of joy, whether we like it or not, on one level. And even when you're going through the trickiest stuff, you can have a defiant joy that comes from Jesus. I call it screw you joy. I've literally, I'm like, I've been times I've been driving in my car and I'm like, screw you devil. I'm laughing anyway. Come Jesus, fill me with joy. Come on, let's have a... So joy is the sign of the kingdom breaking in. And then in verse 33, I've told you these things so that that, uh, in me you may have peace. So what are the three... So again, in a very stressed and anxious world, Jesus comes to bring peace to our hearts and minds. So uh, Galatians 5, fascinating, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. The Spirit, again, Trinitarian theology here, this is the nature of God. You become more like God when you're filled with these things. Jesus was filled with love, joy, and peace, and he's the true vine. And so when you abide and you remain in him, you bear much fruit. What's that fruit? You become a more joyful, peaceful, and loving person. How good. Don't don't, don't you just long to be that? Where else can you find it other than Jesus? And so what about mission? Mission spills out of that. We've tried to flog churches into mission and we've sent all these people who aren't filled with love, joy and peace who are maybe good at talking to strangers about Jesus or something. But I'm like, this is, what, this is actually what we're about. We've got to be smoking what we're selling. Right? We've got to be smoking what we're selling here. So what are we selling the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. Jesus who's come to bring life, right? So what does that kingdom life look like? A person bubbling over with love, joy, and peace. So I want to be smoking what we're selling where it's like I'm actually becoming more and more filled with love and joy and peace as I, as I choose to have a life, a contemplative life of abiding and remaining in Him as I engage in prayer and in Scripture to orientate my life around Him. I want to just be cultivating that fruit in my life. And that's the best gospel you can be. The best gospel you can be is a person filled with the good news that your soul can flourish in Jesus and be filled with love and joy and peace. It's the journey of our lives. It doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. It won't happen overnight. But if you keep turning up, the slow, transforming work of Jesus will take place and you will be a fruity old person. Let it be, Lord. Let it be, Lord, that more and more would get fruity in our old age and that would more and more be people that are filled with love and filled with joy and filled with peace. How does this happen? This happens when we remain in him, to his Father's glory, that would bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be the disciples, of the, the, disciples the followers of the one who is filled with love, joy, and peace. The life you long for is found in Jesus. He's the true vine. He is the source of life and power, and in him you can bear much fruit, only in him. And so this morning as we come into Lamb, uh, I would love us just to to, um, have an opportunity to just stop and take stock of our lives. Are we plugged into the right vine? If you look at your life and, and 
You can tell, it's like it's where you spend your time as your vine. Like, are you plugged into the right vine? Are you plugged into the true vine? And really, honestly, if I look at my life right now, I'm like, yeah, bits of it. And the other bits I've also plugged into a few other vines as kind of like a backup, maybe, where I'm not completely convinced. But this is where this I Am series is super important for us. He's the way, the truth, the life, like we said last week. This morning, it's this Jesus standing before us, looking everyone else in the eye, saying, hey, man, I'm the true vine. Come and remain, abide in my heart. And out of that, you'll bear much fruit, the fruit you long to live. Amen.